Chapter Nine of the Literary Sense. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Force of Habit. From her very earliest teens, every man she met had fallen at her feet. Her father, in paternal transports, dignified and symbolic as the adoration of the magi uncles enforced unwilling tribute cousins according to their kind even brothers resentful of their chains yet still enslaved lovers by the score persons disposed to marriage by the half-dozen and she had smiled on them all because it was so nice to be loved and if one could make those who loved happy by smiling why smiles were cheap not cheap like inferior soap but like the roses from a full june garden to one she gave something more than smiles herself to wit and behold her at twenty married to the one among her slaves to whom she had deigned to throw the handkerchief real brussels be sure behold her happy in the adoration of the one the only one among her adorers whom she herself could adore his name was jack of course and it was a foregone conclusion that he should be a stockbroker all the same he was nice which is something and she loved him which is everything the little new red brick queen anna villa was as the garden of eden to the man and the woman but the jerry builder is a reptile more cursed than the graceful serpent who in his handsome suit of green and gold pulled out the linchpin from the wedding chariot of our first parents the new house cloudlessly its name was was damp as any cloud and the paradise was shattered not by any romantic serpent and apple business but by plain honest everyday rheumatism it was indeed as near rheumatic fever as one may go without tumbling over the grisly fence the doctor said buxton jack could not leave town there was a boom or a slump or something that required his personal supervision so her old nurse was called up from out of the mists of the grey past before he and she were hers and his and she went to buxton in a specially reserved invalid carriage she went with half her dainty trousseau clothes a helpless invalid now i don't want to advertise buxton waters as a cure for rheumatism but i know for a fact that she had to be carried down to her first bath it was a marble bath and she felt like a roman empress in it and before she had had ten days of marble baths she was almost her own man again and the youth in her danced like an imprisoned bottle imp but she was dull because there was no one to adore her she had always been fed on adoration and she missed her wanted food without the shadow of a guess that it was this she was missing it was perhaps unfortunate that her old nurse should have sprained a stout ankle in the very first of those walks on the moors which the doctor recommended for the completion of the cure so magnificently inaugurated 
by the marble roman empress baths she wrote to jack every day long letters but when the letter was done what else was there left to do with what was left of the day she was very very bored one must obey one's doctor else why pay him guineas so she walked out after pretty apologies to the nurse left lonely across the wonder-wide moors she learned the springy gait of the true hill-climber and drank in health and strength from the keen hill air the month was march she seemed to be the only person of her dainty feather in buxton so she walked the moors alone all her life joy had come to her in green elm and meadowland and this strange grey-stone-walled rocky country made her breathless with its austere challenge yet life was good strength grew no longer she seemed to have a body to care for soul and spirit were carried by something so strong as to delight in the burden a month her town doctor had said a fortnight taught her to wonder why he had said it yet she felt lonely too small for those great hills the old nurse patient loving urged her lamp to go out in the fresh air and the lamp went it was on a grey day when the vast hill slopes seemed more than ever sinister and reluctant to the little figure that braved them she wore an old skirt and an old jacket her husband had slipped them in when he strapped her boxes they are warm he had said you may need them she had a rainbow dyed neckerchief and a little fur hat perky with the peacock's iridescent head and crest she was very pretty the paleness of her illness lent her a new charm and she walked the lonely road with an air she had never been a great walker and she was proud of each of the steps that this clear hill air gave her the courage to take and it was glorious after all to be alone the only human being on this wide moors where the curlews mewed as if the place belonged to them there was a sound behind her the rattle of wheels she stopped she turned and looked far below her lay the valley all about her was the immense quiet of the hills on the white road quite a long way off yet audible in that noble stillness hoofs rang wheels whirred she waited for the thing to pass for its rings of sound to die out in that wide pool of silence the wheels and the hoofs drew near the rattle and jolt grew louder she saw the horse and cart grow bigger and plainer in a moment it would have passed she waited it drew near in another moment it would be gone and she be left alone to meet again the serious inscrutable face of the grey landscape but the cart as it drew near drew up the driver tightened rein and the rough brown horse stopped his hairy legs set at a strong angle have a lift asked the driver there was something subtly coercive in the absolute carelessness of the tone there was the hearer on foot here the speaker in a cart she being on foot and he on wheels it was natural that he should offer her a lift in his cart it was a greengrocer's cart. She could see celery, cabbages, a barrel or two, and the honest blue eyes of the man who drove it. 
the man who seeing a fellow-creature at a disadvantage instantly offered to share such odds as fate had allotted to him in life's dull handicap the sudden new impossible situation appealed to her if lifts were offered well that must mean that lifts were generally accepted in rome one does as rome does in derbyshire evidently a peacock-crusted toque might ride unreproved by social criticism in a greengrocer's cart a tea-tray on wheels it seemed to her she was a born actress she had that gift of throwing herself at a moment's notice into any given part which in our silly conventional jargon we nickname tact thank you she said i should like it very much the box on which he arranged a seat for her contained haddocks he cushioned it with a sack and his own shabby greatcoat and lent her a thick rough hand for mounting which way were you going he asked and his voice was not the soft peak sing-song but something far more familiar i was only going for a walk she said but it's much nicer to drive i wasn't going anywhere only i want to be back to buxton sometime i live there said he i must be home by five i have a goodish round to do will five be soon enough for you quite she said and considered within herself what rule it would be kindest most tactful most truly gentlewomanly to play she sought to find in a word the part to play that would best please the man who was with her that was what she had always tried to find with what success let those who love her tell i mustn't seem too clever she said to herself i must just be interested in what he cares about that's true politeness mother always said so so she talked of the price of herrings and the price of onions and of trade and of the difficulty of finding customers who had at once appreciation and a free hand when he drew up in some lean grey village or at the repellent gates of some isolated slate-roofed house he gave her the reins to hold while he with the samples of fruit and fish laid out on basket lids wooed customers at the doors she experienced a strangely crescent interest in his sales between the sales they talked she found it quite easy having swept back and penned in the major part of her knowledges and interests to leave a residuum that was quite enough to meet his needs as the chill dusk fell in cloudy folds over the giant hill shoulders and the cart turned towards home she shivered are you cold he asked solicitously the wind strikes keen down between these beastly hills beastly she repeated don't you think they're beautiful yes he said of course i see they're beautiful for other folks but not for me what i like is lanes and elm trees and farm buildings with red tiles and red walls round fruit gardens and cherry orchards and thorough good rich meadows up for hay and lilac bushes and bits of flowers in the gardens same what i was used to at home she thrilled to the homely picture why that's what i like too she said these great hills i don't see how they can feel like home to anyone there's a bit of an orchard one end of it is just a red barn wall and there are hedges round 
and it's all soft warm green lights and shadows and thrushes sing like mad that's home he looked at her yes he said slowly that's home and then she went on the lanes with the high green hedges dog roses and brambles and may bushes and traveller's joy and the grey wooden hurdles and the gates with yellow lichen on them and the white roads and the light in the farm windows as you come home from work and the fire and the smell of apples from the loft yes he said that's it i'm a kentish man myself you've got a lot of words to talk with when he put her down at the edge of the town she went to rejoin her nurse feeling that to one being at least she had that day been the voice of home ideal and of all things sweet and fair and of course this pleased her very much next morning she woke with the vague but sure sense of something pleasant to come she remembered almost instantly she had met a man on whom it was pleasant to smile and whom her smiles and her talk pleased and she thought quite honestly that she was being very philanthropic and lightening a dull life she wrote a long loving letter to jack did a little shopping and walked out along a road it was the road by which he had told her that he would go the next day he overtook her and pulled up with a glad face that showed her the worth of her smiles and almost repaid it i was wondering if i'd see you he said was you tired yesterday it's a fine day today isn't it glorious she returned blinking at the pale clear sun it makes everything look a heap prettier doesn't it even this country that looks as if it had had all colour washed out of it in strong soda and suds yes she said and then he spoke of yesterday's trade he had done well and of the round he had to go today but he did not offer her a lift won't you give me a drive today she asked suddenly i enjoyed it so much will you he cried his face lighting up and he moved to arrange the sacks i didn't like to offer i thought you'd think i was taking too much on myself come up reach your hand right o the cart clattered away i was thinking ever since yesterday when i see you how is it you can think of so many words all at once it's just as if you were seeing it all the way you talked about red barns and the grey gates and all such i do see it she said inside my mind you know i can see it all as plainly as i see those great cruel hills yes he said that's just what they are they are cruel and the fields and woods is kind like folks you're friends with she was charmed with the phrase she talked to him coaxing him to make new phrases it was like teaching a child to walk he told her about his home it was a farm in kent red brick with glory john rose growing all up over the front door so that they never opened it the paint had stuck it fast said he it was quite a job to get it open to get father's coffin out i scraped the paint off then and oiled the hinges because i knew mother wouldn't last long and she didn't neither then he told her how there had been no money to carry on the fruit growing and how his sister had married a greengrocer at buxton 
and when everything went wrong he had to come to lend a hand with their business and now i takes the rounds said he it's more to my mind nor mimming in the shop and being polite to ladies you're very polite to me she said oh yes he said but you're not a lady leastways i'm sure you are in your art but you ain't a regular tip-topper are you now well no she said perhaps not that it piqued her that he should not have seen that she was a lady and yet it pleased her too it was a tribute to her power of adapting herself to her environment the cart rattled gaily on he talked with more and more confidence she with a more and more pleased consciousness of her perfect tact as they went a beautiful idea came to her she would do the thing thoroughly why not the episode might as well be complete i wish you'd let me help you to sell the things she said i should like it wouldn't it be above you he asked not a bit she answered gaily only i must learn the price of things tell me how much are the herrings he told her and at the first village she successfully sold seven herrings five haddocks three score of potatoes and so many separate pounds of apples that she lost count he was lavish of his praises you might have been brought up to it from a girl he said and she wondered how old he thought she was then she yawned no more over dull novels now buxton no longer bored her she had suddenly discovered a new life a new stage on which to play a part her own ability in mastering which filled her with the pleasure of a clever child or a dog who has learned a new trick of course it was not a new trick it was the old one it was impossible not to go out with the greengrocer every day what else was there to do how else could she exercise her most perfectly developed talent that of smiling on people till they loved her we all like to do that which we can do best and she never felt so contented as when she was exercising this incontestable talent of hers she did not know the talent for what it was she called it being nice to people so every day saw her with roses freshening in her cheeks driving over the moors in the wheeled tea-tray and now she sold regularly one day he said what a wife you'd make for a business chap but even that didn't warn her because she happened to be thinking of jack and she thought how good a wife she meant to be to him he was a business chap too what are you really by trade i mean he said on another occasion nothing in particular what did you think i was she said oh i don't know i thought a lady's maid as likely as not or maybe in the dressmaking you aren't a common sort anyone can see that again pique and pleasure fought in her she never so much as thought of telling him that she was married she saw no reason for it it was her role to enter into his life not to dazzle him with visions of hers at last that happened which was bound to happen and it happened under the shadow of a great rock in a cleft green-grown and sheltered 
where the road runs beside the noisy, stony, rapid, unnavigable river. He had drawn the cart up on the grass, and she had got down and was sitting on a stone eating sandwiches, for her nurse had persuaded her to take her lunch with her, so as to spend every possible hour on these life-giving moors. He had eaten bread and cheese, standing by the horse's head. It was a holiday. He was not selling fish and vegetables. He was in his best, and she had never liked him so little. As she finished her last dainty bite, he threw away the crusts and rinds of his meal and came over to her. Well, he said, with an abrupt tenderness that at once thrilled and revolted her, don't you think it's time as we settle something betwixt us? I don't know what you mean, she said, but quite suddenly and terribly, she did. Why, he said, I know well enough your mind's too good for a chap like me, but if you don't think so, that's all right, and I tell you straight, you are the only girl I ever so much as fancied. Oh, she breathed, do you mean? You know well enough what I mean, my pretty, he said, but if you want it, set it out like in books. I've got it all on my tongue. I love every inch of you, and your clever ways, and your pretty talk. I haven't touched a drop these eight months. I shall get on right enough with you to help me, and we'll be so happy as never was. There ain't never a man in England that will set more store by his wife, nor I will by you, nor be prouder on her. You shan't do no hard work, I promise you that. Only just drive out with me, and turn the customers round your finger. I don't ask no questions about you, nor your folks. I know you are an honest girl, and I trust you with my head. Come, give me a kiss, love, and call it a bargain. She had stood up while he was speaking, but she literally could not find words to stop the flow of his speech. Now she shrank back and said, No, no, don't you be so shy, my dear, he said. Come, just one, and then I'll take you home and introduce you to my sister. You'll like her. I told her all about you. Waves of unthinkable horror seemed to be closing over her head. She struck out bravely, and it seemed as if she were swimming for her life. No, she cried. It's impossible. You don't understand. You don't know. I know you've been keeping company with me these ten days, he said and his voice had changed. What did you do it for, if you didn't mean nothing by it? I didn't know, she said wretchedly. I thought you liked being friends. If it's what you call friends, being all day long with a chap, I don't call it, he said. But come, you're playing skittish now, ain't you? Don't tease a chap like this. Can't you see I love you too much to stand it? I know it sounds silly to say it, but I love you before all the world. I do, my word, I do. He held out his arms. I see, I see you do, she cried, all her tact washed away by this mighty sea that had suddenly swept over her. But I can't. I'm, I'm an, I'm promised to another young man. I wonder what he'll say to this, he said slowly. I'm so, so sorry, she said. I had no idea. I see, he said. You was just passing the time with me, and you never wanted me at all. And I thought you did. Get in, miss. I'll take you back to town. 
I've just about had enough holiday for one day. I am so sorry, she kept saying, but he never answered. Do forgive me, she said at last. Indeed, I didn't mean... Didn't mean, said he, lashing up the brown horse. No, and it don't matter to you if I think about you and want you every day and every night, so long as I live. It ain't nothing to you. You've had your fun, and you've got your sweetheart. God, I wish him joy of you. Ah, don't, she said, and her soft voice, even here, even now, did not miss its effect. I do like you very, very much, and she had never failed. She did not fail now. Before they reached the town, he had formally forgiven her. I don't suppose you meant no harm, he said grudgingly, though coming from Kent, you ought to know how it is about walking out with a chap. But you say you didn't, and I believe you. But I shan't get over this many a long day. So don't you make no mistake. Why, I ain't thought of nothing else but you ever since I first set eyes on you. There. Don't you cry no more. I can't bear to see you cry. He was blinking himself. Outside the town he stopped. Goodbye, he said. I haven't got nothing again you. But I wish to Lord above I'd never seen you. I shan't never fancy no one else after you. Don't be unhappy, she said. And then she ought to have said goodbye. But the devil we call the force of habit would not let her leave well alone. I want to give you something, she said. A keepsake to show I shall always be your friend. Will you call at the house where I'm staying this evening at eight? I'll have it ready for you. Don't think too unkindly of me. Will you come? He asked the address and said yes. He wanted to see her just once again. And he would certainly like the keepsake. She went home and looked out a beautiful book of Kentish photographs. It was a wedding present and she had brought it with her to solace her in her exile by pictures of the homeland. Her unconscious thought was something like this. Poor fellow, poor, poor fellow. But he behaved like a gentleman about it. I suppose there's something in the influence of a sympathetic woman. She bathed her burning face, cooled it with soft powder, and slipped into a tea gown. It was a trousseau one, of rich, heavy yellow silk, and old lace and fur. She chose it because it was warm, and she was shivering with agitation and misery. Then she went and sat with her old nurse, and a few minutes before eight she ran out and stood by the front door so as to open it before he should knock. She achieved this. Come in, she said, and led him into the lodging house parlour and closed the door. It was good of you to come, she said, taking the big, beautiful book from the table. This is what I want you to take, just to remind you that we were friends. She had forgotten the tea gown. She was not conscious that the accustomed suavity of line, the soft richness of texture, influenced voice, gait, smile, gesture, but they did. Her face was flushed after tears, and the powder which she had forgotten to dust off added the last touch to her beauty. He took the book, but he never even glanced at the silver and tortoise shell of its inlaid cover. He was looking at her, and his eyes were covetous and angry. Are you an actress or what? No, she said, 
shrinking. Why? What the hell are you then? He snarled furiously. I am... I am a... The old nurse, scared by the voice raised beyond discretion, had dragged herself to the door of division between her room and the parlour, and now stood clinging to the door handle. She is a lady, young man, said the nurse severely, and her aunt's a lady of title. And don't you forget it. Forget it, he cried with a laugh that Jack's wife remembers still. She's a lady, and she's fooled me this way. I won't forget it, nor she shan't neither. By God, I'll give her something to forget. With that, he caught the silken tea gown and Jack's trembling wife in his arms and kissed her more than once. They were horrible kisses, and the man smelt of onions and hair oil. And I loved her. Curse her, he cried, flinging her away so that she fell against the arm of the chair by the fire. He went out, slamming both doors. She had softened and bewitched him, to the forgiving of the outrage that her indifference was to his love. The outrage of her station's condensation to his was unforgivable. She went back to her jack next day. She was passionately glad to see him. Oh, Jack, she said, I'll never, never go away from you again. But the green grocer from Kent reeled down the street to the nearest public house. At closing time, he was telling in muffled, muddled speech the wondrous tale how his girl was a real lady, awfully gone on him, pretty as paint, and wore silk dresses every day. She is a real lady. She is, he said. Aye, said the chucker out. We know all about them sort of ladies. Time, please. I tell you, she is. Her aunt is a lady of title. And the gas that's gone on me. I expect I'll have to marry her to keep her quiet. I'll have to chuck you out to keep you quiet, returned the other. Come on, outside. End of The Force of Habit